What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. Today, we're going to continue with our off-season outlook previews. Moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves, I have brought on Derek James, who covers the T-Wolves for Score North and Canis Hoopus. He also covers the Minnesota Lynx for High Post Hoops. I'm a Patreon subscriber to them. You should definitely consider uh, doing that as well and checking out their work and his work over there. Uh, he's one of the best Timberwolves mind out there. Uh, so be sure to follow him on Twitter as well at Derek James MBA. Before we get started though, our usual housekeeping notes, I just want to remind, implore, beg, continue pleading with everyone, rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes. You're going to be able to catch us wherever else you consume your podcast. But going on to iTunes, searching Hardwood Knox, throwing us that five-star rating, writing a review, definitely subscribing if you haven't already. That's the best way to help us right now. We're still trying to build up this community. We love seeing those numbers go up. We love seeing um, any comments and reviews that are written. Andy and I are always scouring those. So please, if you haven't done any of that, do so at your convenience, earliest if preferable. Um, and if you've done all that already, we encourage you to refer us to someone. Shout us out on Twitter. Steal people's phones and subscribe them to the Hardwood Knox podcast. They will love you forever and ever and ever for doing so. As always, also, please remember to follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy can be found at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And... Blue Wire Podcasts, our sponsor. They have a ton of great other content, um, especially in the NBA, but also across all different kinds of sports. Check them out if you haven't done so already. They are at Blue Wire Pods. With all of that out of the way, we are ready to go and talk to Derek James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you once more without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, but as we keep our off-season team-by-team deep dives going, I am very excited to once again be joined by Derek James, who covers the Minnesota Timberwolves for Score North and Canis Hoopus. He also covers the Minnesota Lynx for High Post Hoops. You should subscribe to them um, if you haven't already. I am a proud Patreon subscriber of them, so make sure you hit that up. If you're not following Derek already, I would recommend remedying that immediately. He can be found at Derek James 
MBA. I always love a handle that I don't have to spell out. So um, thank you for making that easy on me. We're going to obviously be talking about... Well, you can thank my parents for that one. I had no (laughs) control of the spelling of my name. (laughs) Uh, We're obviously going to be talking Timberwolves today. So hopefully everyone's ready to just get some deep cut information on them. But before we really get into it, we have to ask because I'm sure everyone wants to know. Derek, how have you been? Things have been good. It's just, you know, watching, you know, as much playoffs as you can this time of year. And especially, you know, once again, no Timberwolves in it. But, you know, I enjoyed it last year for as long as I could have had it. Uh, Their season was eventful, I think you could say. Uh, Also eventful was the couple hours before we were scheduled to record this. uh, Minnesota hired a president of basketball operations um, Woj says it's, and I hope I'm not uh, butchering his pronunciation, but Gerson Rosas, who comes from the Houston Rockets, and it seemed like uh, Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle, I know, quote, tweeted uh, your response to him, and he just described um, Gerson Rosas, again, if I'm butchering the pronunciation, I'm sorry, as just sort of a perfect balance hire, and I can't claim to know anything about him. I think uh, these hires come out, and a lot of people, like uninformed people, might just say, "Oh, this looks good." But it was to see Jonathan Fagan back it up with such an in-depth uh, in description. I'm wondering what your, you know, you said uh, this name was bandied about for a couple weeks. So I'm wondering what uh, you thought of this hire, and maybe what it says about what direction the Timberwolves are leaning towards going in moving forward. Well, so I think, you know, you see like a lot of the things that Jonathan Fagan said and for people who don't have the tweet um, talks about, you know, just stability and experience and, you know, how, you know, the Rockets front office worked and how that all came together. And, you know, he has a good blend of, you know, scouting and analytics, but, you know, isn't like put off like traditional basketball measurements for whatever that's worth. Um, but I think you look at like what the Rockets have had, you know, around Daryl Morey and what he's built there and just how much stability they've had. Um, that's something that the Timberwolves def- desperately need. And so the fact that, you know, they look towards someone like that, but also what really stands out to me is their process. You know, so, I mean, this kind of goes back a long ways, but, I mean, Kevin McHale was in charge of his team for about 15 years, and then McHale gets fired. Uh, Glenn Taylor at the time, Timberwolves owner, has no idea who to hire. So he goes to David Stern for a recommendation, even though he's been on the Glenn Taylor's been on the board of governors for 15 years and they wind up with David Kahn <laughs> and then it winds up back to Flip Saunders, you know, after it was kind of just like, Oh, well, you know, we don't really know what to do. You flip, you want to come back. And like, so there's never really a search, like even going back to Tibbs, you know, that was, you know, going to corn Ferry, the search um, firm. And well, they had Tibbs as a client. So of course they're going to go, uh, Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> So it was really encouraging to see not only that they really just like looked outside of the organization, um, but they put together a list of like really respectable candidates, like even like Michael Winger of the Clippers, who declined an interview. You know, that was another good name. And the fact that they were bringing these guys in to be able to keep him when he's being offered ostensibly or at least in the running for a more prominent job in mini. And so many other guys, they had another guy stay too. I think that declined to join David Griffin in New Orleans, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, clearly there's something good going there, too. And Jerry West. You see why those guys are in demand. Was it Jerry West out of someone else? No, no, I'm saying Jerry West is what oh. they have going there that I think people. Oh, I, yeah. I honestly have you know, no idea. I'm just I'm just throwing throwing shit at the wall and seeing <laughs> if it sticks. I don't think you say no to Jerry West. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there's 
First of all, the only thing I see is is a coward who saw the Houston go down 2-0 and then just decided to abandon ship the day after. <laughs> so, no, but uh, again, based off what you said, what Fagan said, it definitely seems like at, at least the Timberwolves' head, uh, heads are in the right place with this hire. And now, I, I think it was, I'm assuming, like, it, it seemed like it was made official at one point, but what does this sort of mean um, for Saunders and the, you know, the quote unquote head coaching search, if we can even say that uh, it's that. I think everyone, it, it, it was reported, I can't remember by who, that he was returning. And I think it was rebuked by uh, John Krasinski of The Athletic that they hadn't agreed to anything with Ryan Saunders just yet. And I'm wondering if yeah. you just have a feel for where that's going. Well, I mean, yeah, I read John Krasinski's piece today, and it would kind of sound like the same thing that Rosas has that relationship with Ryan Saunders. Um, I don't know if he said from where or, you know, what exactly the extent was, but they do have that background. And so, I mean, it certainly seems like that's going to be um, the direction that they're going to go in. I mean, just kind of just reading the way things are going, not knowing anything myself. You know, you have that relationship now with the new president of basketball operations you have a coach and now oddly you're putting in the general manager um, somewhere in the middle of that, whoever that winds up being, whether that's Scott Layden or, you know, whomever, because clearly now you have a young coach, you know, who is open-minded analytically and um, the buying of the roster. Now you have this, you know, up and coming executive that you just hired. And, you know, so what they do with that general manager spot will be really interesting to me. The players do seem to really like Saunders, though, from what it seemed like just based off what was said publicly about him during the course of the season. Yeah, and I mean, he does have, you know, he has very positive energy to him. He's definitely, um, I think people talk about, you know, like breakups and then they wind up going after someone who's the opposite of their ex. And it's just like that with Ryan Saunders and Tom, Tom Thibodeau is, you know, everything that people make him out to be. He's a basketball, you know, machine or a robot. And Ryan Saunders, you know, he's definitely, you know, passionate about the game. He's obviously been around it his whole life. But there's there are parts that remind you of his dad and how supportive he is of his guys like and things like that. How, you know, generally excited he gets about this stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a very different approach, but it's easy to see, too, you know, why, you know, there, he would appeal to something like that. Now, with this, I, I think even before the the Rosas hire and even before they figure out what they're doing with Saunders or their head coach jinx search in general, I struggle to like I struggle to see the direction of this team. I think you look at the roster and say they're closer to wanting to compete immediately, but I'm wondering, and I, I think this would be the basis for their whole offseason, do you think that something resembling a reset would be on the table for them, or do you believe that even post Jimmy Butler trade, just looking at the assets they got back for him in Covington, how close Sarich is to his next contract, that they're very much just full force? We're trying to get back to the playoffs ASAP. Well, I mean, I, I do think that's the goal. I mean, I think Glenn Taylor wants to win. I mean, he's in his um, mid, maybe late seventies at this point. I think he really does want to see another consistent winner, you know, before he considers, you know, getting away from the team. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're stuck in a really weird position after the Jimmy trade. It's almost like they sort of have almost two different timelines going, you know, there's Jeff Teague who's going to be in his final year. There's no way he was walking away from that money. Um, but, and you mentioned the Dario charge deal and they don't really know what he is. And it kind of goes with Andrew Wiggins and, um, trying to salvage, you know, something out of that contract and get some better production out of that. Um, and looking for a guy 
like Rosas, who has been, you know, big player development in Houston. I mean, he did find Daniel House and Clint Capella, you know, when not a lot of people were noticing those guys and able to turn them into viable rotation players. Um, the Wolves really need to do that with Sarge because I watched Dario Sarge and I'm like, well, there's something here. You don't know exactly what it is. And we're in, you know, year three, four of him. And Andrew Wiggins is, you know, Andrew Wiggins. And he's <laughs> regressed each year probably for the last three, four years now. And that's concerning. And after a while, you wonder, you know, is there anything left to be salvaged? Yeah, that's that. I mean, I'm going to pester you about Andrew Wiggins later. And I know we went sort of deep on him last time. But so looking through the Timberwolves' aims through that scope, now that you know they have the president of basketball operations in place, I think we can infer some stuff about where Ryan Saunders is going with that coaching position. What becomes their three biggest offseason priorities or what are their three biggest offseason concerns now? Well, I think I, mean, they, I think they really do just have to really focus on the draft and doing – well there I mean up anywhere down the roster I mean they got to figure out what they're going to do at point guard because I mean Jeff Teague is clearly not going to be here forever but Tyus Jones is a restricted free agent um so they got a lot of things to sort out there and and like we just talked about you know whether they're rebuilding or they're in win now um they have to decide what kind of team they are because I think that determines what free agents you bring back because between expiring you know two-way players and um player options and things like that they have nine or ten guys that from the 2019 team that could not be on the 2020 roster. Um, it all really depends on where you want to go with this team, and they need to figure that out because they could very easily have two different timelines going here, and that's right. not you know, particularly helpful for any franchise. Do you see just of, among that group of free agents, I, like, I look at them, and even the ones that I think stand out you know, as most key, um, obviously not Bayless, but Dang played well. That was like... That, that was interesting. You have Taj Gibson, Tyus Jones, Derek Rose, um, who had right elbow surgery, um, and Anthony Tolliver. Are any of them – I don't look at any of them and, and view them as must-keeps. Do you think that any of them are along those lines? Do you think most of those guys are going to end up being goners? I, yeah, I would think so. Um, it, I think Anthony Tolliver was kind of frustrated uh, with his role this season. It just never seemed like he you know, was getting the playing time that he expected – uh, well, mostly under Tom Thibodeau. Um, he played a little more under Ryan Saunders. And, you know, they're the former Bulls guys are the ones that I do worry about. Uh, Taj Gibson, I think, you know, if he's in a smaller role, um, that would be great for him. I mean, I, cause, you know, Taj isn't a guy that wants to play 35 minutes and start 82 games. Um, he's the kind of guy, he's happy coming off the bench for 2025 and playing four or five more years. Um, so it really kind of depends on the role that the team needs there, but I don't, I would probably stay away from Dang and Rose for sure. Um, you know, everyone, you know, thinks about the Derrick Rose 50 point game and you look at it and I wrote about this, um, at the end of the season, you know, he really just had a, a strong 30 games where everything was falling. I mean, it's really just his duty numbers from the first 30 games were such an outlier. And then, you know, like, yeah, he played 30 Derek Rose is hitting pull up three pointers and those threes off the dribble like that at 50 percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not it's all. He doesn't all of a sudden start doing that in year 11 and have that be sustainable. But then he couldn't play once they, you know, they had to play him over 30 minutes. And that's a concern, too. Uh, interesting with Derek Rose <laughs> over his final 18 games while he was still in the lineup, 5.7 percent from three, which is actually impressively terrible. Like 5.7 yeah. percent is hard. 
and people have brought this up and I think it's a fair point that he did have um, some lower body issues. And if he's obviously dealing with elbow problems, you know, that's a that of course plays into it. But I think it also comes back to other concerns you have about Derek Rose and his durability. And, you know, can you play, can you afford to pay this guy a bunch of money on your team? Cause I think what helped him stay healthy and play well in the playoffs last year was the fact that he took two weeks off in Cleveland to, you know, ponder his basketball future allegedly. And then after Utah released him, he had two weeks off before Tom Thibodeau picked him up. So it's it, it kind of seems like if you want Derrick Rose, you're going to have to play him 15 minutes a night and give him a couple nights off here and there to get you know him through a season. And I think so. Uh, before we do these podcasts, I do solicit questions from listeners and try to tie them to the topic. And we have one from um, Adam Spinella at Spinella14. Uh, tie into the Tyus Joes and Derrick Rose decisions, even if they are decisions at all. If the Wolves pay to keep both Rose and Tyus, will they be able to use their full non-tax MLE? Or does Jones and Rose plus the 10th pick cap hold prevent them from using that? I I think that's – the answer is just no, that or excuse, that they wouldn't have, in my mind, the full non-tax MLE. Because they're if you carry Jones's hold, like they're close now with Teague yeah. opting in. And so you're going to have to pay – Rose is probably – I would think Rose, if he's healthy, gets more than uh, the minimum. But I honestly don't know. I could on, I could see teams be like, no, we're not going to pay him more than the minimum. But even if you paid Jones his cap hold, maybe that's high. You still just you're way too close to the the luxury tax threshold there to guarantee you'd have that full MLE. And so that's definitely reason enough to, I would think, choose between one of them if not let both walk. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what happens with ties is interesting. The most the Wolves can offer um, Rose right now is the four years thirty six. Um, and I don't think Please I would don't go do to that, $9 million a year for Derrick Rose. That, I mean, you know, if someone wants to, you know, pay Derrick Rose $9 million a year for one or two years, have at it. That's probably not going to hurt you depending on the make of your team and which direction they're going. But, yeah, for your, the years, I mean, based on what we saw this year and just given his whole history heading into his 30s, that's really concerning. I wouldn't want to tie myself to Derrick Rose for four years, but I would hope ultimately that if it came down to do we keep Tyus Jones or Derrick Rose, that you keep the you know twenty two year old point guard who was, yeah. I mean, even though you know like he's not the biggest dude in the world, but you know he knows what he's doing, and his assist to turnover numbers are just insane. So just having a point guard out there who knows how to run an offense and doesn't make mistakes, um, even if he's not flashy, is just huge and you know, the, where it gives you in a game. Yeah, for sure. And so would he be the free agent, I think, of their group that you would most want the Timberwolves to bring back? I would think so. I just don't know, you know, how much you pay him at this point because they've kind of really put themselves in a tough position with the, the Gorgie Jang deal, the Wiggins deal, and, you know, of course, Teague opting in, which, you know, it wasn't a surprise to anybody. Uh would he is he worth the his cap hold is seven point three million. He's a restricted free agent. I would think that he's actually worth less than that, would be my guess. Um I guess he's young, but I don't know where yeah. I don't know where his market outside of Minnesota is coming from for something that's more than that. That's the thing. I mean I mean someone like Phoenix who desperately needs a point guard, Orlando. Um, those are a couple teams that would stand out who Phoenix, maybe. You know, I thought Orlando, maybe Orlando, I guess still Orlando. They have faults, but some people don't even think he's going to play again. So They're still starting DJ Augustine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, hero of game one versus the Raptors, DJ Augustine. Veteran experience. 
Uh, so as we sort of just alluded to, with without them making any major salary dumps, uh, they're gonna have probably the non-taxpayer MLE is their best off-season chip that's worth a little bit over nine point two million. Are there any free agents you'd like to see them target with that, or you know, obviously divvy up amongst multiple? free agents do any names spring to mind for you i know honestly i haven't even looked who is going to be a free agent this summer basically half the league so i feel like if you just if you could name pretty much any name and th- there's all the 50%. 2016 deals coming off the books yeah um i thought someone who Let's would see. be interesting is I, I think they still need three and d wings that's i think every team yes. needs that but they are still they have wings who can do one or the other and then they have covington who's actually three and D one of the names and it might be a little over aggressive because he's a restricted free agent, but Dorian, Finney Kevin Smith. Durant. Oh uh, yeah. Well, Oh no, know. no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, look, Kevin Durant's fantastic and he's just so cranky all the time. It seems. And I don't think you guys want that energy or not, not around cat right now. He just got rid of Jimmy Butler. He got rid of one crank. You're right. Uh, Kevin Durant's only going to bring down the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's basically <laughs> my take. Uh, one sort of name that sprang to mind would be Dorian Finney-Smith because if Dallas really wants to get Max Rumor sign a big-time name, he might need to become a cap casualty even though his hold is nothing. So he's restricted, but I don't know. I wouldn't pay him nine $9.3 anyway, so I would think that he might be one of those names that's gettable. And he's really uh, portable on the defensive end in, in the half court, and he hit enough of his catch-and-shoot threes. Uh, I think it was around 35% this year to be – to at least come close to fulfilling that 3 and D wing potential. So that was a name that sort of stuck out, but you could obviously go through just the, the list of, of wings. I think what they might run into a problem is when we're talking about veterans along the lines of, you know, Danny Green or Damari Carroll, they're probably going to want to play four teams that are closer to contending for a title. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm looking at the list of, you know, possible free agents this summer. And there are a lot of mistakes to be made out here <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> wow, the Marcus I mean, Morris slander that you're just hinting at is out of control right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's Ennis Cantor, Valanchunas. Oh, man. Terrence Ross is out there. Te- oh, I mean, the, the te- Terrence Ross's next deal is going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. But maybe they could get like a, you know, I don't – I, Cleveland might not be able to afford to keep David Nwaba. That's someone who's smaller and didn't really shoot threes well this year, but uh, he's actually on second thought. I'm, I'm talking myself out of it fit-wise. He's too much just defense. But there's, I think they could get someone, and uh, the, maybe the benefit of their cap situation is that they can't go out and just offer a, a terrible contract. Because even if, no. you, even if you throw the full boat at Dorian Finney-Smith, like, you know, sub uh, eight figures per year doesn't put you in a hole. It's not a big boat to be, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And like, like Reggie Bullock's out there, and like Reggie Bullock isn't, you know, like a huge name, but like, you know, he's a guy. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, Kelly Oubre, you're probably not going to get because he's also restricted, and he really can't will... shoot. I, I, like, I'm the boat. I think the ship, as we continue to use these nautical references, the ship has sailed on on his outside jumper for me. Yeah, I just, you know, like I watch him sometimes, and I'm like, oh, there's so much to like here, and then you look at like the whole picture, like, oh well. I mean, like if you KCP, don't have Tyus or Derrick Rose, and you're just out on T, you could probably run Kelly Oubre Jr. as just a pseudo point guard at points, and that might be an interesting role. But you don't want to. I don't know that you necessarily want to pay for that. I'd I'd rather pay Tyus Jones than Kelly Oubre. I would, you know, I'd rather them. 
I think just, you know, really look towards the draft to fill those those spots as much as possible. Then, you know, because I mean, the reality for agency is you're going to overpay anyway. And to get people to come to Minnesota at this point, you're probably going to overpay them even a little more than that. So yeah. ideally, yeah, they don't go too crazy in free agency. If something good comes up, great. I mean, like, but even like Wayne Ellington last year, I mean, he got, you know, eight and a half million dollars. Like that's, you know, that's just kind of the reality of the market for those kind of players. Because like, like you said, everyone wants three and D players, wings. They might be, and it depends on which free agents would be willing to sign these types of deals, but if they could get someone for, you know, on a small, like, like if it's a two year deal or something or or a one-year deal, like maybe it's, you know, we're not even talking uh, mid-level money at this point, but maybe like a Garrett Temple uh, might just be just a mm-hmm. solid fit for a year placeholder until they figure out uh, how close they are to the playoffs or something like that. Yeah, that's not a bad idea either. Um, or kind of like what the Sixers have done with like James Ennis. Um, you know, just watching him, it's like, he's not really a great player, but, you know, he plays hard, you know, he, he has the size, you know, he can do some things even though he's not moving the needle for you. If you need a guy just to eat up minutes and not be atrocious, I mean, you know, someone like that, I think, could also be another idea. Yeah, that's not the worst move in the world. And have you, you know, since you mentioned the draft, is there, assuming, I'm just going to assume they don't win the lottery. I mean, it's, it's possible that they end up with Ryan, but are there any, if they end up in that number 10 spot, have any, like, prospects stuck out for you there that you'd like to maybe see them go after there? They're probably in that weird spot where a lot of people consider the draft top heavy. And so if you're at number 10, like maybe you can justify making a reach or a gamble in years where you otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. And that's hashtag Kevin Porter is maybe what I'm getting at, but right. And yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the thing, like, you know, you never know who's just going to slide down there. I don't think like the nuggets expected him to Michael Porter jr. To be there. Yeah. Whether let's see. Yeah. Yeah, but if they can find, you know, a guy like they did with Josh Okogi last year, um, who's just an incredibly useful player, played hard, knew what to do. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have that outside shot. And I think, you know, they should hopefully try to find a guy like that. But finding that in at number 10 is going to be tough. Yeah, Jared Culver is the guy that I've seen in a lot of mocks for them right around there. Um, but I don't watch a ton of college basketball. But so I think thinking, you know, probably – wing or backcourt you know is probably fine because they're gonna have cat they're gonna have gorgie and you know if they lose taj i mean that's obviously going to create an opening but you know there are ways to work around that especially if you know they can get creative um like we saw the rockets do you know now that they have uh, rosas and be able to you know find those diamonds in the rough after the draft uh you mentioned dario sarich uh what are they do you think will he be like their starting power forward next year, even if Taj is back? Uh, do you think that maybe there's a chance that he gets an extension? Do they even view him as a core piece, or is he just sort of in limbo and they're still trying to figure out what they have in him? Well, I think that I think they do like Sharch. Um, you know, he he eventually you know wound up taking Taj's spot in the lineup, uh, and but that's the thing. Like, I don't think we really know what he is, uh, and not just. I'm going to make this comparison, not just because they're European players, but it reminds me a lot about the things that we said about Nemanja Bialica when he was here. Uh, it just being so frustrated that he is, you know, he's just so inconsistent and you just never really know what you're going to get from him on a nightly basis. And the passing up the threes and things like that, where I don't think they really know exactly what he is yet. And if, 
you know, we know what Covington is, but Covington's 28 years old. Um, so you're, you're still going to get a few more good years out of him. But a guy like Sharage, you should be able to hopefully develop and still get more out of. But it's kind of frustrating that after 50, 60 games of Sharage last year, you don't know exactly what you have for him down the road. Um, maybe he just winds up being, you know, a nice bench piece and, you know, for on a really good team. And that's fine. But I think, you know, continuing to get some way to figure out what they have in him and, you know, where he fits in the grand scheme of things will also definitely be important. And his shot seemed to come around just towards the latter part of last year. Uh, definitely, I know there's a lot of late season noise when you're looking at March and onward, but definitely from March 1st, I think he shot almost 38% from three. But there's always just been questions, I think dating back to his time in Philly, where he wasn't necessarily asked to do much. Is he ever going to be the guy that can just consistently create for himself, you know, more than straight line drives, maybe taking some off the dribble jumpers, running some pick and rolls and that I'd, I would Minnesota would have room, I think, to dabble with that. Uh, but at the same time, he hasn't shown anything in in those departments. And it's maybe it was a matter of opportunity with Philly to some extent, but it's really tough to invest in a guy like that where I think we can believe that, yeah, he's going to be a, a really good set shooter. But what is he going to give you? beyond that and beyond frontline spacing at, at the four spot. Yeah, exactly. And that was one thing that, you know, with Bielitsa, you know, you watch his European highlights and, um, you know, you he was able to put the ball on the ground and he could do so many things. And you just saw this dynamic player and then you see him in the NBA and you're just like, what isn't happening here? And, you know, you just think like the Wolves could still, you know, use a player like that in charge. But I'm looking at it now and for his career, he's had 97% of his career three-pointers assisted on. Right. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but like we're talking about having, you know, someone who can bend a defense on their own and not just with their gravity and just, you know, their presence, but someone who can actively, you know, make a defense react to them. And that's just not really been charged at this point. Um, just because he does rely so much on, you know, facilitators around him rather than being one of those playmakers himself. If I could be one Timberwolves player for a day, like on the basketball court, I'm pretty sure it would be Josh Okoge, just because he plays with such a plum, and he's a really tough one-on-one defender. What are you looking, realistically, even expecting for him to do on the offensive end to just become more of a consistent asset? I do think it's easy to say, well, hit more jumpers, and you know that's I think that's obviously accurate, but I, I do wonder if... That, like that's a really like a wholesale thing to improve. Like not all players just develop these jumpers. And so I'm wondering if you, there's any aspect of his offensive game that you looked at, whether it was his willingness to attack the rim, maybe if he can move off the ball that you saw or would hint at him being more of a plus offensive asset in that next season. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime that, I mean, he just has such a high motor. I mean, I, I watched Josh Okogi and I go, this is the player we wanted Shabazz Muhammad to be for four or five years. And, you know, that, that was just really like, the funny thing. He's like Shabazz Muhammad has that same energy, only he doesn't know what to do with it. And it led to a lot of mistakes and things like that. But Okogi, he, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to control it a little better. Um, I would just want to see him continue to be active and, you know, maybe even, you know, become the better screen setter and pick and rolls and things like that. Just Ooh, ways, that'd be interesting. Yeah, he has decent size. I mean, if, and as a role man with his energy, you know, 
I think that could be interesting to see if he could pursue that. I mean, obviously you want to see him become a better shooter. Uh, but how many guys coming out nowadays would you say need to be a better shooter? Probably most of them. It's a, Yeah, it's <laughs> like I was talking about this in our previous pod where it's like we can say like imagine what Ben Simmons would be like if he had a pull-up three-pointer. But like that's a huge thing to just pencil in as a what-if. Like players don't just always develop those types of skills. No, and I think they're, you know, I think we do over, we do tend to, if a player doesn't have the shot, I think we tend to overplay that and underplay the strengths that they do have. Because, you know, you look at a guy like Ben Simmons, it's like, yeah, he can't shoot, but he can get to the rim like it's no problem and, you know, flip a shot over anybody. So does it really matter that much? No, the Sixers are still a very good team. And with Okogi, it's like, you know, you see that he can get into the lane at will. He's a monster in transition. He makes plays on defense, you know, and gets out on the break. Like, there are so many things that he does well that you're like, well, you can live with him not having a shot in a certain role. And, of course, it depends, you know, on having guys around you. Maybe we'd feel differently about Simmons if he didn't have J.J. Redick or if Joel Embiid couldn't hit, you know, an outside shot. Um, so, I mean, the roster construction matters. Um, but I think there are definitely other ways to get guys involved rather than, you know, just saying, oh, well, they need to be a 38% three-point shooter, even though that is incredibly helpful. Uh, two things on him. I always just feel like, and maybe it's because he plays bigger than he actually is on defense. I forget that he's only 6'4". And two, he has one of the low-key best Twitter handles in the NBA at call me underscore nonstop. I just, I really admire that handle for some reason. Oh, yeah, no, it's good. And then I think he works his jersey number in there, too, which is even better. Um, the, Look, even better there. Um, This is more of a loaded question because there's, you know, we just talked about maybe stuff could happen in free agency. We don't know what the roster is going to look like. Who are they going to uh, bring back? But uh, Kata Bates-Diop played more toward the end of last year when the Wolves' season was kind of over. Uh, from what I saw of him late in the season, which I can guarantee obviously was far less than you uh he seems to be a very self-aware off-ball defender very strong on the inside uh, what do you think he also needs to do to be more of an offensive asset and i know the jump shot uh is there as well and do you think that he ends up having more of a consistent role with the timberwolves next year or is his involvement with them very much dependent on the personnel that they do or don't get on the open market Oh, man. Yeah. Um, all the above. <laughs> um, I do think that they, you know, he does have pro- he most likely does have a bigger role next season. Um, Tom Thibodeau has never been big on playing, you know, a lot of guys. I mean, he, I don't even want to just want to say young players because Anthony Tolliver struggled to see the floor at times. And he was playing, you know, eight or nine guys in November. And it's like, well, that just it, November, December. And that just doesn't work either. Um, but what I see with, with Jop, kind of a lot along the same lines that you said, um, you know, he he makes responsible plays. He doesn't try to do too much. He doesn't have seem to have any you know delusions of grandeur as far as who he is as a player. Um, he won't try to do too much. He won't hurt you. Uh, he doesn't seem to be, you know, this. I mean, he's he came out I think as a three or four year player. So I mean. Those guys typically don't have as much upside as younger mm-hmm. players. Yeah, he's already 23 years old. Um, but there's still going to be some room to grow there. And, I mean, his rookie season basically started 
um, after the new year. So there, I think there's still a lot there to be seen. Um, but I think you should definitely be with the big club and not going back and forth between um, the Timberwolves and Iowa Wolves. We, I picked your brain about Andrew Wiggins a lot on the last podcast, and I think both of us ended up where we were still holding out hope for him. It was at the beginning of uh, last year, I think, at, at the beginning of the season or around midseason when you came on. Where do you sort of land on him now? And we have two questions from listeners tied to Wiggins. One from Sports and Jokes at Sports and Jokes 1. Is it just time to wave the white flag on Wiggins? Um, and then Beater Griffin at Beater NBA Fan. Uh, are there any teams you could see that would want to take a chance on him? Or you, just covering it from the Timberwolves perspective, Do you are there any contracts out there that you think might be a good fit for a trade? You know, those unsavory deals that you'd be willing to take <laughs> back to get rid of Wiggins. Oh, it's, it's, it's just so bad. Um... Yeah, he, it, he is owed. He has four years and one hundred and twenty-two point two million dollars left on his contract. That's the balance. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And you know, people were you know, some Wolves fans got on my case. You know, late last season, like, well, he's done this over the last five games, and I'm like, I don't really care about the last five games. <laughs> I just, I just don't. Um, I, I look at what, and people go, well, you know, when he plays with, when he played with Ricky, he was this good. Well, like, he should be able to play with more than one NBA point guard. He shouldn't only get fired up for these certain games. For like, the Thunder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or when um, the Cavaliers come to town. <laughs> you know, he should be fired up to play, you know, just about every single night. If he has a bad night or an off night where he's not feeling it, so be it. But that's just like, you know, how it is with Cat. Like, he shows up every night and gives you 20 and 10. And so that night when he does have 11 and 4, like, you're like, yeah, all right. Well, he had a bad game. What are you going to do? But this is like, you know, an every night thing. And we've seen this regression each year for the last several years at this point. And it's not just the shooting. It's not just the defense. It's the overall inefficiency where, you know, Wiggins was getting to the line as, you know, top 10 in the league his first couple of years. And let's see. His free throw rate was at 43.7 in his second year. Third year drops to 34.5 and then 24 each of the last two years. So he's just not getting to the line anymore either. And, you know, like James Harden, you know, when he has a bad shooting night, but he's still getting to the line. And so, you know, you're like, how did he get 43 points on 37 shots? Well, because he got to the free throw line 20 times or took 20 free throws rather. And Wiggins just doesn't have that component to his game. So it just looks like he's not doing anything out there. And then you just don't notice him. And I, and you know, I really hate to be having this conversation still in year six, um, as you know, how you get him going, and oh, maybe someone else can you know finally fix him. But the problem is like all these teams that people had floated in the past, like the Hawks and the Kings, you know, as possible destinations, like they don't need Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe you take Kent Bazemore, you know, for Andrew Wiggins just to get him out there. But why would the Hawks do that? Why would they want to pay him for four more years, even if you give them a first? when they have, you know, Trey Young and John Collins and Kevin Huerter and whoever they add in this year. Um, the Kings are on the way up, and they don't need Andrew Wiggins. I mean, plus they already have Harrison Barnes. Like, they don't need Andrew Wiggins. So it's like, what do you do with him? You're almost in this position where you have to make him work, you know, one way or the other. And, I mean, I do think it sends kind of a bad message, too, if you're like, well, you know, we evaluated this guy, we determined he was worth the max, and he, we were wrong. 
and then we had to, you know, pay out more assets to get rid of him. That's not a, that doesn't reflect well on you, and you know, for the rest of the league. So I do I think it's important to try to get something out of it and at least elevate that value so that maybe you can trade it. But even a guy like Gorgie Jang, who you know only makes you know he's still owed thirty four million over the next two years, and he's a service serviceable NBA big man. Um, and they can't move him without possibly attaching a draft pick. So, yeah, it's it's not a good spot to be in with Andrew Wiggins unless he just improves on his own. Yeah, and I'm normally, in this situation, I might be more pro of, like, going, traveling the great lengths it would take to dump him, but there's just, I can't even fathom what those lengths would be at this point because with four years left on his deal, there are not a lot of contracts, if there are any, that are even close to as ugly looking as his right now. And so like, you know, John wall. Yeah. And it's a, but like, <laughs> would you, wouldn't you rather have John wall, his four year price point than Wiggins? Yes. He's more money, but he's John wall. It's the if same with healthy, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, and you know, we had Eric Dahlberg at Eric CD 25. The if the Hornets would go for a sign and trade of Kemba for Wiggins. Uh, if the Timberwolves were sending more pieces, I don't, I could not come up with signing trades are so rare, but it's just, even if we were talking about, I don't think you Batum, can do them anymore. Yeah. It's even if we were talking about Batum, like you want Batum's deal probably instead of Wiggins's at this point. Yeah. So I think that the argument you made was interesting at this point. It's you either try and build back up his value to where he can be moved, even if it takes, you know, a sweetener or two, but at least you know that there's a price tag involved to dumping him, or maybe you get, Lucky, maybe he starts, you know, Jimmy Butler's not there to start the season. Maybe he, his offensive role just gets more consistent where he's not being, you know, poo-pooed between all these different capacities and, and maybe something just clicks. That's probably the – that's I think, as you said, the way you outlined it, I really think is just the only course of action for them right now. Yeah, and I, I just don't know how else you fix it unless you're going to, you know, include him in like an eventual town trade or something. Um, you know, Imagine using like, okay. Carl Anthony Towns to to dump Andrew Wiggins's contract. That would be I, that would be something. I don't I don't know what else you would attach to it. No, it's like the it's a more drastic measure of the Knicks using Kristaps Porzingis to get off Tim Hardaway's money, basically. Yes, yeah. because <laughs> Towns actually plays. Uh, yes, yes, he does, and he is uh way better than Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> um, Robert Covington, uh. Misses a good chunk of time last year, but he played. I think he really did change the uh, defensive tenets for the Timberwolves when he was when he first arrived. Do you think that he's considered? You know, maybe they have three core pieces in Cat, uh, Roko, and Akogi, or is he not necessarily on that level? Because he's just in this weird age group. His contract is fantastic if he's going to be healthy, but if the Timberwolves do decide to lean into just something a little bit more gradual, uh, having Yes, you know, his contract is great, and but he's a guy who's going to help you win games. And how much value is there in carrying a 28-year-old, going to be 29 in December, uh, Robert Covington on the books, if you do rebuild, which, you know, you said that the Timberwolves aren't looking to do? Yeah, I think what you talked about, you know, was something that was really cool with when Covington came over. Him and Charge really had this immediate chemistry um, on the defensive end. And I think... You know, you look at, like, everything that we talked about, like, with Jimmy Butler um, when he was acquired was, oh, yeah, you know, he's going to come in. He's going to be, you know, this voice on the floor. He's going to help, you know, put these guys in the right places. And that just obviously never happened because that's not who he is. 
Whereas it really seems like Robert Covington was that guy. And I, and as far as, you know, like his future role, like he might, he's a 28 year old guy, you know, he's making 11 million a year, which is a great contract to have. Um, but I, you know, I think for the time being, he can be kind of that placeholder second, third banana on this team, you know, that kind of sort of just keeps everything together. Cause there is value in, you know, having a guy around who can, you know, he can get stops. He can, you know, hit threes. He's a very willing three point shooter. And I think when you have someone like, you know, Rosas running the team and, you know, Ryan Saunders, who's young and, you know, very open minded, um, he could definitely be a weapon, um, even if, you know, maybe when this team reaches its full apex, hopefully um, he may no longer quite. He might be more of like an Andre Iguodala role rather than a lesser Andre Iguodala than, you know, the definite number two piece on a playoff team or Western Conference Finals team, you know? Uh, look, I'm going to be honest. See, he has three years and $36.4 million left on his deal, and just the type of player that he is and, and how well he thrives um, in a team defensive setting, if he's mm-hmm. healthy, if the right knee isn't a problem, I would – I'm not – they wouldn't be top selections. I would give up two first-round picks for Robert Covington. Like, just mid, I, I mid-level I think you would picks. take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's <laughs> – so – and that's the that would be just the value I'm keeping. I'm not saying for just trade value, but I like that's how good he is, and uh, he he doesn't necessarily fit whatever timeline the Timberwolves travel, but whatever iteration or whatever version of a team they throw out there, he is just very much plug and play with his style. Oh gosh, I mean, just about anywhere. I mean, who can't use an extra wing defender? Who can't use an extra knockdown shooter? I mean. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know what, he can't really dribble. Back. I don't care. Like, the way he defends, and you don't want, when you have other high-usage guys around him, that it just, it he doesn't, there's there's so much value in fit um, that he can, he will fit whatever version of the Timberwolves there is. And so I wouldn't hesitate, if I was an outside team, I think it would take, if I were the Timberwolves, two first-round picks uh, before I even consider rerouting him. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. Um, and if they could get that, awesome. And I think a lot of teams will look at that, you know, maybe down the road, especially maybe if the Wolves are just kind of, you know, having another middling season where they're in it, but they're not really in it. You know, maybe they do look at the option of possibly, you know, trading him at the deadline for something. I mean, it's it's not a bad – he's not a bad piece to have either for trade or for keeping either. So, yeah, no, it's definitely um, great to have him one way or the other. Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, we went long without mentioning him. I think because I just don't know what, that there's more to say about him. He's just he's one of the most dominant offensive players in the game, one of the most dominant offensive big men um, of all time. He made uh, a lot of headway as a defender in in set situations, and uh, I've read the coverage just from the Timberwolves is that Robert Covington uh, and Dario Sarge being around, and the Timberwolves were switching a little bit more that that helped Towns a lot. Do you think? that there's a chance he ends up being this defender who can make more complicated reads in the half court, um, more, you know, successfully make more complicated closeouts, or has the ship sailed on Carl Anthony Towns, the very much above-average defender, and if you're going to get close to league-average defense from him, you should just consider yourself fortunate. Yeah, I mean, if he, you know, of course, you know, stays at league average, that's obviously very good. Um, but I just think, you know, to a lot like what Sam Mitchell, you know, was talking about when he was coaching Towns in his rookie year, um, you know, he's talking about these guys now that come out and they you know, year four, they would just be graduating from college where 20 years ago, you know, they would be rookies 
but now they're four-year veterans. And I think we see over and over again with big men that it's not uncommon for it to take them until age 27, 28, 29 to reach their peak, you know, as far as defensive competency. And so I, I would not be surprised. I mean, especially as Towns continues to mature physically and his basketball knowledge and get better. I mean, there's still definitely room there. Um, how far it goes, though, is really up to him. The thing that still takes me aback uh, about his offensive game that probably shouldn't, but when he like fakes out of threes and just dribbles into the lane, it is absolutely terrifying. It's like Al Horford on nitrous oxide watching him do it. And I just it's so don't... perfect that you mentioned Horford for with Towns too. And so it's just it's the fact that a big man can move like that because he's so much more. He has like uh, in on those plays specifically that just the Al Horford motion and IQ, but just the explosion and yet it's combined with the finesse i don't it's still just when he does it i could see why defenders would bite because i just don't look at him and think that that's what's about to happen and again he's going into year five of his career so that's just something i still appreciate but somehow still catches me off guard when i'm watching him well and everyone bites on it too that's the most amazing thing i mean over and over again you know when you well because you know he can shoot it too and i mean that's part of the value in being able to hit 38 40 percent of your three-pointers is Teams also have to respect that, but they also see that they have to respect your dribble. And you see, once he gets that step, I mean, it's it's too late at that point. Um, and yeah, it's it's impressive to see just how many things he can do on that end. Yeah, he's. I mean, his shooting, like you said, off the charge at forty percent, and I, I think he was more accurate off the catch last year. Yeah, forty one point one percent on catch and shoot three. So this is he is still someone I could see. Um, I don't I don't want to use the word late bloomer, but it's like how Damian Lillard. Um, has only really just been accepted as a top 10 player over the last year or two. Uh, T- Towns can still get there, and I don't think that that's talked about enough. He's that if, – if he didn't improve a lick on defense, there's still a chance that he would get there because he's just so damn good at the offensive end. And this is – I would – if I had to guess, I would think within the next if, – if it's not next season, maybe the season after that, that's when we're really just talking about Towns as that top 10 mainstay. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question. I think a lot of times, too, we're a little harsh on these guys. I remember Towns' second, third year when, you know, he was having, you know, the really his most defense, worst defensive struggles. And it was like, oh, Carl Anthony Cantor and things like that. And it's like these guys, I mean, they they take longer to, you know, come around, I think, than we remember um, because everything is, you know, I mean, with Twitter, you can get highlights constantly and, you know, you know, we have all the access to the conversation and things like that that we forget that it takes these guys, you know, time to come around. And I mean, with, with towns, I, I don't, I don't know that I fully expected him to be able to do this, but I do remember, um, I might've said this last time too, but it was the last time that I talked to flip Saunders and it was on Towns's draft night. And I asked, he was talking about how he can do this, how, you know, he can do that. And I was like, well, what, what can't he do right now? What does he need to focus on most? And Flip goes, there's nothing he can't do. And it's like, we're kind of no pressure seeing that. I mean, he's getting better as a passer. I mean, I think he's gotten better at recognizing double teams, passing out of those, which is also huge. He can dribble. He can consistently hit that outside shot at an elite level as a seven-footer. I mean, I, th- I think the world still is this guy's oyster. 
the and I, you mentioned the pressure is interesting because you, Zion Williamson is just the latest where they're talking about him as the best college prospect since Anthony Davis um, and the biggest marketing boon for a rookie since LeBron James. And I'll never forget, I don't remember when exactly it was for Towns. I'm not sure if it was his first career game, but David Thorpe, who is a fantastic basketball analyst, analyst now over at True Hoop, I love listening to him on podcasts and reading him stuff, but I remember he tweeted, I have seen enough of Carl Anthony Towns to know that he has more upside than Anthony Davis. Again, I don't know what game number that was for his career, but he was a rookie. That's just to saddle players from from the outside with such expectations. I do think that colors the way we end up viewing them when they don't immediately or ever uh, hit that apex. Oh, yeah. There's there's no question that plays into it. And it's it's not the player's fault, but it does you know reflect our expectations for it. Like if Anthony Bennett had been, you know, the 27th pick. We probably, we would not have cared, you know, if he washed out of the league in two or three years. The fact that he held on that long would probably be impressive enough. And arguably the only reason he did was that, well, he was a first-round pick, so, you know, we have to keep him around. It's like, no, you right. don't. He's not good. Um, so I think similarly, you know, that it definitely does add those expectations, you know, fair or unfair. My final question for you, um, and I will thank you once again for letting me take up so much of your time. Who is the no player problem. that's most likely to be traded by them this offseason? And this is one of those generic questions I ask for all of these exit interview pods. But for the Timberwolves, I find it legitimately interesting because it's either a topic or, or what, like a, a nod towards, hey, let's talk about Jeff Teague, or I really just can't decide who it would be. Well, who's still trade eligible at this point? That's a thing. I mean... Shards, Bates, Job, Towns, Wiggins, Gorgie Jang. I mean, they're losing so many guys that. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's, two of the guys that can be traded, Wiggins and Jang, you need. I would say Wiggins is as close to a movable as there is in the NBA right now. Although maybe because he's so young, I honestly we can't go back down that rabbit hole. But and then Jang, you would you would need to with two years left on his deal, you would definitely need to attach something to it. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't know if that's worth it. I mean, he fell out of the rotation for a good chunk of last year and eventually found his way back and showed that, you know, he still can do some things, but that's kind of the problem with Gorgie is that he's so inconsistent, um, even if he's rather reliable. He doesn't miss a lot of games, but he's definitely an up-and-down player. Yeah, maybe Gorgie. I mean, everything that they have left is so tough. I mean, I guess I'd probably say... Gosh, I mean, I've tried to talk myself into the Suns or Magic or someone trading for Teague. But yeah, I, I mean, like maybe even Detroit, if they were going to send back not Reggie Jackson, but like one of their cheaper, you know, like a Galloway and War, and then just a second round pick, just so that the Timberwolves could diminish their payroll. But if you have immediate expectations, uh, Teague is. I think it was. How did you put it last year? I think it was like just fine or something like that, or almost fine. That's what's just going to go on uh, Teague's tombstone. Was. Almost fine, like Jeff. He's fine. Almost fine, Jeff Teague. <laughs> That's really exactly how it is. Um, I, he would be my pick, though. Is that is that who is he? Your pick as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I think realistically, he's probably the one guy that you don't have to give something else up. I mean, that he's still a useful, productive NBA player. Um, when he's at his best, he's he's a pretty you know he's a pretty average you know to the what, top 15, top 20 point guard in the NBA? So, I mean, that's kind of worth it if you can find a way to get that, although I don't know if you're entirely going to get that with Teague. And this, I would think with any trade for them, because they're not 
the one the the measures they'd have to go to create actual cap space are just so stark and two cap space doesn't mean to a team in minnesota what it would to a team in la that they probably wouldn't look at my guess uh but please do correct me that they probably won't look at anything i guess until mid-season when they sort of have a better feel for who they are or i guess they could be one of those teams uh that are are trying to make those you know net positive acquisitions to beef up their playoff chances and that's what would prompt them to make a move over the offseason but otherwise i don't really see them being one of those squads that's active on the trade front until the season's already underway yeah and i don't know that it makes sense to you know max out your payroll and push towards a luxury tax line um for another you know 38 40 42 win team i don't think that makes a ton of sense no, especially when we saw in the west that it you know took almost 50 games again to get a playoff spot 45 50 games so i don't think they're quite there um shedding salary would be nice but you know honestly sometimes the best decision is just to let your mistakes play themselves out well derek i once again appreciate you coming on this was a lot of fun always appreciate you uh dropping your timberwolves insight if you guys are not following Derek, uh, again, you need to correct that immediately. He can be found at Derek James NBA. I don't even need to spell it out. That's how. That's why you need to follow him because it's just so easy to remember. He covers <laughs> the Minnesota Timberwolves for Score North and Canis Hoopus. Uh, he also covers the Minnesota Lynx for High Post Hoops. Be sure to check them out if you haven't uh, done so already. Uh, we will definitely, or I will definitely be pestering you again at some point, I'm sure. So thanks again for coming on and giving me an, an hour of your time. And until next time, I leave everybody with the shout out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.